I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. If you're going to read just one book on politics this summer vacation, the word is out. Devil's Bargain, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, and the Storming of the Presidency is the one. The book is by Josh Green, senior national correspondent for Bloomberg Businessweek. And if you believe what Politico reports, the book has President Trump livid. To be clear, as you'll hear, Josh is just fine with that. You'll love this conversation. Josh is a great storyteller and a funny guy. Backstories on Steve Bannon, the Trump campaign, Jeff Sessions, Rebecca Mercer, and more. We talked about all of them. But before we begin with Josh, a quick ask from me to you. I hope you like these conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. As always, though, if you don't like the conversations, please forget I ever mentioned it. And one last word about this conversation. When I caught Josh, he was on a cell phone in a Washington, D.C. area garage. So the audio is mostly good, but the content is excellent. I forgot to ask Josh if he was in the garage meeting a new deep throat. Well, have to cover that next time. That's it. Here's my conversation with Josh Green. Josh, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate your time. It's great to be with you. So New York Times number one bestseller. Uh, have you figured out how to fit that on your business card yet, or uh, did you go straight to the tattoo? Well, <laughs> it's a little premature. Amazon bestseller. I don't think a New York Times list has come out. But, well, um, a- well, I thought um, I saw something on New York Times earlier this week, but okay. But, but Well, Amazon's shorter in length. I mean, it's just fewer letters, so you could probably do the tattoo on that. You don't, you know, It takes less space. You mean chest or shoulder? You know, you're you're probably more of a shoulder guy, is my guess. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, uh, unless uh, you know, unless the I love mom tattoo, you know, that's already filled up the shoulder, and you got yeah. it. You know. you know, you know, like having a like a devil's bargain tattooed across your chest though would be pretty pretty biker. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it'd probably be something that Bandon would like. You know, for all we know, I've never seen him with a shirt off. Thank the Lord. Maybe he's got one. <laughs> well, you're you're not. You, you didn't. Qu- you report this quite as deeply as I thought you had. Then you know. You, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So a, a research lapse on my part. Yeah. So so why don't we start quickly with the Josh Green news of the day? Um, I'm sure you love making headlines. So Politico reports that Steve Bannon has largely disappeared from the White House's most sensitive policy debates. And if you read through to the end of the piece, um, it seems to be your fault. Um, well, the, you know, the political piece claims that Trump is livid over the book, yes. which um, I would be thrilled if, in fact, Trump were <laughs> livid over the book, because Trump doesn't keep his anger bottled up very much. Um, you know, and, and, and all book attention is good at book attention. But so far, he hasn't said anything. So I don't, I don't know if he's really livid over the book or not. But uh, I do think that one reason Bannon has made himself scarce is not so much the book, but just because all of the attention he got in the early days of the administration with Saturday Night Live and the Time Magazine cover clearly enraged his boss. And, you know, one reason that Trump kicked him to the curb back in back in February, and March was because Bannon's uh, profile got too high for his liking. And so uh, I'm sure, you know, Bannon isn't thrilled that you know his name is being splashed across the cover of a book uh, that people are buying and reading and talking about on TV and podcasts. And so it would make sense purely from the standpoint uh, of self-preservation for Steve Bannon to make himself scarce. Okay, well, you know, maybe maybe you'll get lucky and uh, you, you'll get a, a Trump get tweet storm. Get storm. attacked by Trump, yeah. yeah. Yeah, get attacked by Fingers Trump. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably probably isn't, that wouldn't be the first time he's uh, 
uh, you know, reacted to some of your reporting. Let, let me go just a little bit more news of the day, which also, or, or maybe news of the week, but, but you know, really connects to some of the reporting that you did. I mean, you report, uh, you know, and, and write about in really just, you know, great detail how uh, Steve Bannon recruited uh, then-Senator Jeff Sessions to the Trump team. And, of course, Sessions is now uh, the attorney general that uh, President Trump just can't, uh, you know, talk badly enough about, apparently, um, regrets hiring him, uh, you know, the whole New York Times, uh, you know, reporting this week. Given what you know and from your reporting on that, um, what, what do you make of, uh, um, you know, of the Sessions-Trump uh, interactions this week? Well, it's a huge stab in the back to Jeff Sessions uh, because Sessions was an important figure in Trump's path to winning the GOP nomination. Um, you know, back in uh, February, after Trump had won New Hampshire and after Trump had won South Carolina, I think everybody in the media, or at least I, thought that, well, you know, this is interesting. Trump is winning, but nobody at that point uh, in the National Republican Party, no elected official had endorsed Trump. Everybody was very standoffish, and we all thought that the field of establishment candidates would winnow down to, you know, a Marco Rubio or maybe a Ted Cruz or somebody like that. and didn't didn't give Trump much of a chance to win the nomination. So um, when Sessions came out and endorsed him in February, becoming the first U.S. senator to endorse Trump, it was a big, big deal. And I tell the story in the book of how Bannon had spent months behind the scenes brokering that alliance. Bannon at the time was the chairman of Breitbart News. He wasn't involved in the Trump campaign, uh, but he loved Trump and he'd known Sessions for a long time. And they all three of them had kind of the same uh, populist politics. Sessions was obviously kind of Trump curious, but but couldn't quite uh, convince himself to make the move because uh, Sessions had over the past few years been a real dissident within the Republican Party. Back in 2013, when the Senate was pushing bipartisan immigration reform, Sessions was often the the lone vote in opposition, uh, trying to stop various amendments to, you know, intensify the crackdowns on illegal immigration or to actually limit illegal immigration. So he was going further than even immigration hardliners like Ted Cruz. And in 2014, he got passed over as chairman of the Budget Committee, which uh, by seniority Sessions was due um, because Republican leaders in the Senate wanted to punish him for his apostasy on immigration. And so the challenge that Bannon had was talking Sessions into endorsing Trump uh, because Sessions said in the scene I lay out as he was sitting in a rental car in the Memphis uh, airport about to have a secret meeting with Trump. Uh, Session said, look, if I endorse Trump and he loses, I guess the end of my career in the Republican Party, like they'll never they'll never let me back in. And so Bannon, who very much wanted Sessions to endorse him, he knew it would be helpful, finally talks him into it. So Bannon or so uh, Sessions has a secret meeting uh, on Trump's airplane at the after after a rally in Memphis. Um, They agree that there's going to be endorsement. And the next day, as we all remember, uh, there was a rally, a Trump rally in, in Madison, Alabama, and Sessions comes out from behind the stage, walks out on stage, you know, puts on his MAGA hat and endorses Trump. And a couple of days later, Trump goes on uh, to all but sweep the SEC primaries in the South, after which he became, you know, the inevitable Republican nominee. So Sessions um, was really an important figure in helping Trump 
along the way. And, and uh, you know, and, and this week, uh, you know, things have changed just a little bit for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and he was rewarded for that loyalty by being named uh, attorney general, making him the highest uh, law enforcement official in the land, which is a big deal to a guy like Jeff Sessions, who cares about uh, issues like uh, immigration and cracking down on immigration. He has a lot of say in how the American government uh, treats immigrants. Yeah. Uh, he, he can he can you know crack down on them. He has a, he has a big hand in criminal justice reform and all these I- issues that he's believed for years and fought for, uh, really from the fringes of Republican politics. So 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 Sessions has a real dilemma. Uh, on the one hand, he finally has a kind of power that he's longed for his whole career. On the other hand, he's just been publicly humiliated and undermined by his own president, who's cast a vote of no confidence for him in the New York Times. So does he do what a traditional cabinet official would do and, you know, uh, preserve his honor by resigning? Or does he stick around? Uh, all, all signs initially are that, are that Sessions says he's going to stick around and just take it. So you've got the sequel already. I mean, it's Devil's Bargain 2. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> the next devil's bargain, the, the other's devil's, bargain. the other devil's bargain. Yeah, that that's yours, Josh. You can just have that one. I, yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. that's gratis. Um, you know, take take that one. Um, let's, you, so let's go to the first uh, devil's bargain. Go, let, let's go to Bannon. D- just, you know, d- describe him, describe the Bannon that you've got in in the book, um, you know, the mm-hmm. background on him. And 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 how did Steve Bannon, the guy who grew up in uh, a Democratic family, you know, the Roman Catholic military academy, um, you know, how did he become this, uh, you know, political mastermind? And I'll ask you later whether he actually is a political mastermind or not. But but just take me quickly through uh, the Steve Bannon story. Sure. Well, I, I tell a story in the book of how I actually met Steve Bannon. I, I, I was a political reporter for The Atlantic in 2011 and just gotten back from doing a big reported piece on Sarah Palin, who we in the media all thought was going to run for president in 2012. And I got a call from a film publicist saying, hey, I represent this filmmaker. Like, he really loved your article. He's doing a documentary on Sarah Palin. Will you come to his film? Uh, A screening of it. I said, all right. So the next day I go to this film studio and I meet Bannon, who's this disheveled guy in a military field jacket who shows me his documentary of Sarah Palin called The Undocumented, which I didn't think was all that impressive. But Bannon himself was this really interesting guy who at the time was involved in the Tea Party movement and had this kind of nationalist populist politics that was different than anything you'd really hear from Washington Republicans at the time. So yeah, he's an interesting guy. And in my job as a magazine writer, like those are the kinds of people you look for to profile. So I hung out with him on and off over the next couple of years and got his full backstory, which is that he'd been born into this blue collar, Irish Catholic, Kennedy worshiping democratic uh, family in Richmond, Virginia. He'd done a stint in the Navy after that, he'd gone to Harvard Business School and then become a Goldman Sachs investment banker and moved from there uh, to Hollywood deal financing and eventually through uh, Andrew Breitbart into Breitbart News and Tea Party politics. So he has this weird and varied background uh, that got him where he is today. What, what, what's it like hanging out with Bannon before he's Breitbart Bannon and before all that? I mean, is, is it, you know, it, what, what's hanging out with him like? Um, you don't get this from the public portrayal, but he's a very kind of uh, funny, smart guy. He has this kind of lunatic charisma. You know, he, he's like a guy who's always 
spinning a million plots and intrigues and is super excited about it and wants to tell you about it and wants to introduce you to, you know, Nigel Farage here, or the Duck Dynasty guys there, and this whole motley cast of characters, this entourage that Bannon kind of cultivated um, before he joined Trump's world. Uh, it was just a kind of weird and surreal place to be. And it was attractive to a number of reporters. I mean, there were there were other guys in Bannon's uh, kind of reporting orbit at the time. You know, Peter Hamby from CNN and Scott Conroy from Real Clear Politics, uh, Dave Weigel, who was I think back uh, you know at Slate and the Washington Post back then. Um, so he he was just an interesting guy and a colorful figure in the Tea Party world that seemed important back then. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of like hanging out with Dennis Rodman, but but uh, on that side of things. Exactly, with with, with slightly fewer piercings. <laughs> so let's get to the political mastermind part. Um, is Bannon a political mastermind? I mean, he took you know your reporting and and everything. You know, everyone except uh, perhaps President Trump uh, would would feel that Bannon <laughs> took him you know across the finish line. Um, is he a political mastermind or just a guy at the right place at the right time? I don't think it's quite right to describe him as a mastermind in the classic sense. Like I don't, he's not quite like a Karl Rove figure yeah. um, or Lee Atwater he, he or a, James Carville or Lee Atwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, but, but he does have an interesting strategic brain and the, you know, I give him the credit in the book for helping Trump in two ways. And the first way is that Bannon understood early on that Clinton was going to be the democratic nominee almost inevitably. And that the way to stop her was to kind of soften her up early by attacking her and going after her. But he also knew that conservatives had gone after Bill Clinton in the nineties and it really pretty much failed to stop him. So Bannon's critique of why Republicans had failed was that they'd become trapped in this echo chamber and he thought that the way to go after the Clintons and stop them was not to talk to conservatives so much as to talk to mainstream voters, independent voters, people like that. And the way to do that was to go through the mainstream media. And so he helped set up these interlocking organizations, including the Government Accountability Institute, which published uh, the Clinton Cash book that turned out to um, be a real problem for, for Hillary Clinton and her public profile right at the time she ran. So Bannon is, is good at masterminding um, kind of messaging slash propaganda projects like that. What he's not good at doing is masterminding uh, a legislative strategy to get a bill through the House of the Senate. Yeah, he'll he'll get you there. But once you're there, yeah, un- understood the really different skills. We've seen that in other presidencies as well. Um, it, it, tell me about Bannon and uh, Trump. Um, ideological soulmates or marriage of convenience. Talk, talk to me about that connection. What, what can, how, how did they, you know, I, I think that, I think there's a personal connection there because weirdly enough, they, they do have a lot of similarities in their background. They both went to military high schools. They're both, uh, chip on your shoulder outsider guys who tend to, uh, resent the establishment, whether it's the Manhattan real estate celebrity establishment or the Republican political establishment. Uh, and they're both kind of Wall Street dealmaker guys who have uh, spent time in the entertainment industry. But I think Bannon is a true believer in his nationalist policies. And I think Trump, at the end of the day, is not really a believer in anything but uh, whatever he thinks will advance the immediate 
interests in cable television coverage of Donald Trump. So while it seemed like they were political soulmates in the campaign, that hasn't really been the case once Trump got into the White House uh, and started stocking it with Goldman Sachs veterans. You know, um, you, you say that both he and Trump were products of the military high schools, and I'm wondering if if I'm right now the head of marketing for one of the military high schools, am I thinking, you know, thank you, Green, or uh, you're really killing me here? <laughs> Well, I guess it depends what kind of people send their kids to, to, to military academies. Uh, My guess is that would be more right-leaning than left-leaning. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe sending out like a ban and fundraising letter to the alumni campaign it, or whatever would, would, would be helpful rather than harmful. I'm sure the brochures are getting rewritten right now. Uh, let's talk about um, Rebecca Mercer um, and, and Robert and Rebecca Mercer. I mean, you, you, you write about them, and, and it's a it's a I mean, again, the stories in this book and, and, you know, for anyone listening, you know, go get the book because just I mean, the stories and the reporting and, um, you know, actually, I, I blame you because, uh, you know, you can't put it down once you start reading it. And so, um, you know, I, I wasn't really responsive to other people. Uh, you know, while I was with the book. Um, but but y- one of the stories is the crazy deal-making and backstabbing and how Mercer cut the deal with Bannon and Kellyanne Conway and then, you know, brings them in, gets it together with Trump, and then, you know, the 30-second, you know, Jared Kushner to, to Manafort, you got 30 seconds. Um, if, tell me about that story, please, you know, bring it to life for me. And then, um, well, you know, talk to me about the influence of the Mercers. Well, I mean, the Mercers are really the benefactors of the entire world of organizations that, A, that, that Bannon used um, with a lot of his allies to try and to, to, to tear down Hillary. Uh, but also they were, they were instrumental in Trump's campaign, both in the sense uh, of super PAC help and uh, direct money to Trump's campaign. Um, so the family itself, the patriarch is Robert Mercer, who I think I think still is the co-CEO of Renaissance Technologies, a secretive hedge fund. Uh, he's this really colorful, secretive, oddball figure with hardcore right-wing politics, who also happens to be a math genius and a billionaire and very interested in donating money to a lot of right-wing causes. Uh, not so much the traditional Republican Koch brothers type of causes, um, but but alternative outfits like Breitbart News, like the Government Accountability Institute, the kind of things um, that Bannon conjures up. So I really think of them as, as being kind of the merchant bankers to Bannon's organization of groups. But Mercer himself, Bob Mercer himself, isn't all that politically active. The person who cares about politics is his daughter, Rebecca, who has been a very important uh, Republican donor and is actively involved in all of these different Bannon efforts and continues to be involved uh, in a group, an outside group that, that props up Donald Trump. And, and Bannon's, Bannon doesn't get the role without Mercer, is that right? No, I have a scene in the book basically where after the Republican nomination, Trump's campaign is seemingly in a death spiral. He's attacking Megyn Kelly. He's attacking the Khan family. Uh, Paul Manafort is under increasing public pressure because of his Ukrainian financial ties and, and pro-Russia dealings. And so finally in August, uh, Rebecca Mercer, out of the scene, flies out to Long Island to a Trump fundraiser at Woody Johnson's estate and confronts Trump and says, look, you're going to lose if you don't make a change fast. 
but I have just the team in mind that can take over your campaign. And that was Steve Bannon, Kellyanne Conway, and later on David Bossy, all three of whom had worked for Mercer or been paid by Mercer to work at these various groups and super PACs, whether it was the Stop Crooked Hillary PAC, um, one of Ted Cruz's PACs, the, the Mercer's funded that Kellyanne Conway had worked in, or Breitbart or Cambridge Analytica or one of these affiliated groups. So I think she, she was really played a key role in helping insert the team that ended up allowing Trump to win the election in the end. So we've got just a couple minutes left. Let me take a, a step back. Um, tell me about you. How, how do you get involved? I mean, obviously, I know the Atlantic and, and the other writing and, and all of that. Um, where did you grow up? Did you love politics? Did you not love it? What, uh, you know, were you into sport? Tell me about you. Yeah, and so I, I grew up the, the son of two teachers in New London, Connecticut. I had not the slightest interest in politics until um, I was, pre- was pretty old. I was an econ major in college. I moved out to Boulder, Colorado uh, with 10 idiots from my college rugby team and pretty much just uh, attended bar and waited tables and fell into writing kind of through a side door. Um, I got a job as the local entertainment editor for the Boulder, Colorado version of The Onion, the satirical weekly back then. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did a lot of like freelance music writing, sports writing, covering University of Colorado sports stuff. Uh, eventually kind of burned out on the lifestyle. I went to Northwestern for journalism school. And while I was there, I started to get interested in politics. I did like a quarter semester thing in, in Washington where you work for like a little local paper and kind of caught the political bug. Um, I worked for Playboy magazine for a year and a half after that because I couldn't find a job in politics. So I went into soft porn. Um, but eventually I met and befriended Josh Marshall, a talking points memo, who at the time was a Washington editor of the American Prospect. So he hired me for a job. Uh, I moved on to the Washington Monthly, the famous Charlie Peters magazine, worked for a great guy named Paul Glastris, who taught me everything I know about magazine writing. Uh, hopped from there to the Atlantic, and in 2011, uh, just after that Sarah Palin piece where I met Bannon, I moved over to Bloomberg Business Week and cover politics for them there. Got it. And that's where I mean, there's the, there's this group of you, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, Josh Terengel, um And I know I'm butch. I always butcher his name. So, you know, he you know, he's he's used to it. None of us. I, I work I work for him for like five years. Yeah. I no, don't it, know how to pronounce it. But yeah. <laughs> and are you also connected with Joel Stein? I mean, are you part of that? Is that group? Joel Stein, Joel Stein is part of the Tarangle Mafia. Yeah, I think they work yeah. together at Time Magazine, and Joel has written like some wonderful stuff for Business Week, including a like the, the classic profile of Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, but I don't think he has a formal affiliation with Business Week, and of course, Josh is now moved on, on to vice to, no 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 i'm uh, run vice yeah. and hang out and hang out with all the millennials yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now, now that he's out of that group he wants to get uh, he wants to try to get back in mm-hmm. no it's, i mean i i recommend you know the the, the trolling it's not the trolling but the there there will be uh you know twitter kind of conversations among uh uh you or stein or or josh uh and or maybe the two of them um, and, and I did a conversation with, uh, Joel a while ago. I mean, he, that guy's a riot. He's, uh, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, dorking around on Twitter is what political nerds do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most hours of their day anyway. Yeah. So what, what, what you're, you, you're implicated in the crap. I was going to say, what are you trying to say about me? 
Um, so yeah, so yeah. Let, let's um, finish this up because I know that you, you've got to run. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, you know, America I – no, I won't be silly because I actually mean this question seriously. Um, wh- where are we? What, what do you feel – you know, you've reported this out. Um, wh- where do you feel we are, where our democracy is, our country, um, you know, what Bannon has done for good or bad for, to our, for our country, to our country? Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where's our democracy? I think we're just in completely uncharted territory. And Bannon is a piece of that, but it's much, much broader than Bannon. I mean, I think it has more to do with Trump and more to do with the intense frustrations of American voters uh, in both parties, at both parties, at Washington, at the culture. I think a lot of this is hangover from the economic crisis and uh, you know, a reaction to what is, for a lot of people, um, fear of a changing country, changing economically, demographically, um, for all the attention and craziness that Trump's presidency has generated, you know, at the heart of it, there really is something that I think is is, is worrying and, and kind of potentially frightening about the direction we're headed. And I don't have the slightest idea where it's going to wind up. But uh, as a political journalist, I do feel fortunate to kind of uh, be at the center of the action, trying to figure it out as it happens. That's one of the great things uh, about working in our field. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy ride that you're on. Uh, so so have fun with it. On, on the note of crazy rides, I know you're uh, about to get an Uber. So go go get it. And uh, thanks for your time. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, that was my conversation with Josh Green. Great storyteller and really likable guy, isn't he? If you still haven't picked up your political read for the beach, you should grab Devil's Bargain. My thanks to Josh for his time and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you again soon. Thank you.